my one job was to make sure that I told the people of New Jersey the absolute truth. I have, I'll continue to, and no matter what else anybody says, that will not change. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker Podcast. There's all kinds of stuff going on up in a courtroom in Newark, and I want to be really clear. Did I know about it? Did I have anything to do with it? The answer was, was no. I had no role in authorizing it. I had no knowledge of it. I'm David First. Now in week seven, the Bridgegate trial for former Christie staffer Bridget Kelly and former Port Authority appointee Bill Baroni is in the hands of the jury. And so as we wait for a verdict, we are joined by WNYC's Andrea Bernstein and Matt Katz, who have a few closing arguments of their own. Welcome back. Thank you, David. (laughs) Hey, David. So, Andrea, can you run down the actual closing arguments uh, as heard in court? Yeah, so the closing arguments were quite dramatic. The prosecution very strongly argued, look at the evidence in front of you, read those emails, the ones we all know, time for some traffic problems in Fort Lee. There was an email from Wildstein to Bridget Kelly, where Wildstein talked about the dead to me gene and the insanity gene being the two most important qualities for somebody in politics. So the prosecution said, look at all of that and just take it for what you think it means. But the defense said, Bill Baroni's argument was David Wildstein cannot be trusted. He is an admitted liar. He met with the prosecution on dozens of occasions just so he could fix this whole thing so he would get the lightest sentence and other people would get the book thrown at them. And he said, don't believe him. If you don't believe David Wildstein, he said, this case, you have to acquit. At the very end, he pointed to Bill Baroni and he said, Bill, stand up. And he said to the jury, don't do what Bill did that got him here, which is trust David Wildstein. And Bridget Kelly's defense, at times, Michael Critchley, her lawyer, was shouting. And at one point, he said, where is Christy? And he called Christy a coward for not coming in to testify under oath. And he pointed out that Christy has never testified under oath. And he said, where is Kevin O'Dowd, Christy's former chief of staff? Where is Bill Stepien, Christie's former campaign manager, now the national field director for Donald Trump? He said the prosecution could have brought in any of these people to contradict what Bridget Kelly said about them under oath, and they didn't do that. So her testimony stands that she told Chris Christie that he approved it, and they made a vehement argument. Now, the prosecution came back with, well, this trial is about them not about the other people, uh, but it was a pretty dazzling display for the jury. That's a lot of drama in the courtroom there, Matt, but ultimately uh, jurors are still facing that email. Time for some traffic problems in Fort Lee. Absolutely. And the email, is it wrong that I'm smiling, which Bridget Kelly sent in response to uh, information that there were kids stuck in school buses in traffic, and that might even be the more more damning email. Uh, After the concluding arguments, the, after the closing arguments, the jury got the case, and they have now deliberated, including a little bit of time for lunch, eight hours, and it'll go to a third day of deliberations. And they have 
been very inquisitive. They've sent several questions to the judge about what they're charged with doing and evaluating nine counts against each of these defendants. So all the reporters are in the hallway. There's like three dozen of us. They won't let us into the courtroom. The judge is in her chambers. The jury's in their room. We're sitting on the floor in the hallway, and we're waiting until something happens. And then all of a sudden, a guard comes in with a piece of paper, and that's the question from the jury to the judge. And there were a few interesting questions that uh, got asked. The first was regarding the government's meeting with Wildstein, unbeknownst to Baroni and Kelly. So there were several meetings, uh, as by one count, uh, two dozen meetings, between the feds and David Wildstein. This was brought up several times by the defense as a way of saying, you know, maybe this guy was coached. And the jury was very curious about that. They said, is it legal to prepare a case without the defendant's knowledge or legal representation? So was it legal for the feds to be talking with their star witness without any representation from Baroni and Wildstein there? Uh, The answer is yes. Yes, it is. And then there were two other questions. One of them got a little tense and my Michael Critchley was uh, speaking very loudly to the point that the prosecution, Assistant U.S. Attorney Feeder, complained to the judge saying Critchley was talking too loudly. And this exchange was was, uh, quite dramatic. He said, take it down a notch. And Critchley said, the court tells me what to do, not you. And Feeder said, okay, well, take it down a notch. And Critchley said, no, no, no. The court tells me what to do, not you. And and the reason why tempers were flaring was because uh, this question to the to the uh, judge from the jury it was something of a sensitive question. Can you be guilty of conspiracy without the act being intentionally punitive to Mayor Sokolich, Mayor of Fort Lee? In other words. Can they return a conviction against these defendants if they didn't actually think that they were intending to punish him? If they didn't know, even maybe even know that that was part of the deal? And the answer that the judge returned, much to the defense's disappointment and anger and frustration, was yes. You can convict these guys even if you don't think they knew that they were punishing the mayor, even Regardless of the motive, they can be guilty of conspiracy. There was a lot of heated discussion about that last week when they were deciding how to charge the jury. And it's really confusing. And I talked to a number of prosecutors about this and former prosecutors because you don't have to prove intent in a crime. However, the way the prosecution framed the indictment and indeed framed its case was that they did this to punish Mayor Mark Sokolich because he wasn't endorsing Chris Christie for re-election. And at one point in the argument uh, to the judge about the jury instructions, Critchley said, what are we defending then? We've been defending all along a case of punishment. So it is a really, really confusing point. And at one point, they moved for a mistrial. Obviously, that did not happen based on this. But there is some concern that if you don't have the motive, 
you could criminalize something that could be just a stupid traffic study versus a punitive traffic study. Uh, So there is a concern about that, that you get into an area here where suddenly you start making dumb decisions and they become criminal. And there was recently a case before the U.S. Supreme Court concerning the governor of Virginia where it was overturned for that very reason because they said that they were criminalizing ordinary conduct. So that is all the background here. Uh, But obviously, at this point, so much hangs on the judge's instructions and the judge's charges, and there's really nothing more for the lawyers to do. The lawyer responded, Critchley responded by throwing his head back and slumping in his chair, which prompted an immediate rebuke from Judge Wigginton. And he said to her, judge, by answering that way, in other words, by telling the jury that motive is irrelevant here, you're directing a verdict of guilty. It was, it was, it was uh, pretty hot and heavy. Afterwards, Critchley was out in the hallway, took his jacket off, and was pacing. It seems like uh, uh, quite the blow to the defense. Well, he took his jacket off. He hasn't done that yet. I know. It was. Uh, I have noticed during tense moments, though, that Bridget Kelly has put her hair up in a ponytail. Oh, interesting. No ponytail today. In fact, her and Baroni were, um, were, were, were laughing and, and having a nice chat during one of the breaks. So the defendants themselves didn't seem as stressed as, as you might imagine when they have a, a sort of federal prison Damocles hanging over their head. I'm even confused here, though, because if the jury even thinks that Bridget Kelly really thought it was a traffic study, could they still decide that she's guilty? I think so. I guess we're going to find out. Yes, <laughs> they, they could because they... Andrew, do you know the answer to that? That's a great question. The... Charges willfully misuse. So doesn't look like a jury charge of just she thought it was a traffic study would get her a conviction. It has to be misusing the resources of right. the Port Authority right. uh, willfully. So there is that. However, one of the things that I did think was interesting from today is the jury asked a question which seemed to indicate that they might not believe that Bill Baroni and Bridget Kelly conspired together, right? That was another question, right, where they wondered if, if, they, if they were to return a not guilty on the conspiracy charge, would they then still be able to return a guilty on the actual uh, charge of, of the action of closing the lanes themselves, and, of course, you can. You can make a decision on, on each count. They seem to be looking at this, if we dare to suppose what they're talking about in there, through a lot of gray. Like, it's not clear that they are both either totally guilty or totally innocent. Uh, maybe it's somewhere in between. Maybe Bridget Kelly thought, you know, and and part of me has wondered, maybe Bridget Kelly thought it was a tr- real traffic study and... She knew it was going to screw over the mayor at the same time. The jury doesn't get to slice it that way. On the other hand, you know, if they have reasonable doubt, then she doesn't get convicted and and Bill Baroni doesn't get convicted. What happens after the verdict? Does the legislature reopen their investigation into Bridgegate? Uh, Matt, is there ever going to be any penalty for the way the governor's Office of Intergovernmental Affairs operated, you know, working on 
Christie's re-election campaign on the public's dime. Will there be any penalty for the the $10 million-plus of taxpayer money spent on the Mastro report, you know, the governor's internal investigation that exonerated him of any wrongdoing? If the Democrats in the legislature decide that it's in their political best interest, in their own political best interest, to pursue this, um, then perhaps you would see hearings into the Master Report. Perhaps you'd uh, see a continuation of the Legislative Investigative Committee looking into some of the testimony that was delivered to them in the past and try to reconcile it with, with, with what was said in the trial. I mean, certainly... If the Democrats decided that it wouldn't damage some other interest that they may have politics-wise involving Republicans in the legislature and Christie and they decide to continue this, there are plenty of questions that have not been answered that they could pursue, like the content of Christie's deleted texts and his email account that he never turned over, the role of the chairman of the Port Authority, David Sampson, uh, in this whole thing, which has barely been explored in the trial, and how that might inform whether there should be reforms of the governance of the Port Authority. There could be efforts in the legislature about transparency and making sure that Google Docs, which is how these guys did politics in the governor's office, can't be used as this big gaping loophole to do a blatant political activity on taxpayer dime with documents that reporters can't get because it's Google Docs and it's in the cloud and that doesn't really exist as far as the public's concerned. And certainly uh, the Democrats might want to call Chris Christie to testify before the legislature. There are plenty of questions that he could be asked about why even people close to him have given information to a criminal court that refutes much of what he had publicly said over and over again about his lack of involvement in this whole scheme. There's a lot of unresolved questions about the Christie administration's legal response. There's a lot of loose ends about the trial. So even when this is done, even if we have a verdict by the time the next Christie Tracker podcast comes out, even then there's going to be a lot that's unsettled. Clearly, they are thinking about the Christie Tracker podcast schedule when they are making these decisions. <laughs> WNYC's Andrea Bernstein and Matt Katz, thank you for joining us. And the next time we chat, uh, we should be speaking about verdicts. Thanks, David. Thank you. The Christie Tracker podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to Season 2 of the podcast on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow Matt Katz at MattKatz00, that is Matt, K-A-T-Z, and Andrea Bernstein at Andrea WNYC. I'm David First, and as always, we'll finish with a final thought from the governor. I'm a nice guy. Ask anybody. Well, not anybody, but... Um... 